Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Welcome, Claire. Hi. Nice to talk to you, Anne. Claire and I are from the same faith background, so not necessarily trigger warning, but we'll be talking about how these issues have affected us in our faith and also some particular programs specific to our faith. But it will relate because a lot of you have been through programs that are similar to this, either faith-based or secular programs or maybe 12-step programs. So I think that you'll relate, but if you're like, eh, I'm not into this, then meet us in the next episode. But I just wanted to let you know that that we'll be talking about that from a faith perspective. As always, all faiths, all paradigms are welcome here. And I'm always looking for women who share their story. So if you're interested in sharing your story, regardless of your faith background, please contact my assistant, Kari at btr.org, because I would love to talk to you as well. So let's start with Claire. So Claire, tell me your story. Did you recognize your husband's abusive behaviors at first? Uh, so not at all. <laughs> we just had our 25th anniversary and it's only been started seeing things with someone else's help in March. So it's been, you know, a quarter of a century without. My abuse is mainly sexual coercion and um, covert emotional abuse. And he's also very, very wants to look like the good guy. And so it is really difficult to see. And so I had put in a lot of effort. This is the whole like love, serve, forgive thing, like our whole marriage, you know, (laughs) trying to be a good person and learn how to communicate. And I had been listening to some podcasts about sex and how it should be for both people and um, just learning a lot. And then so because of that, we started fighting more. (laughs) So that had only been like the past two years. So I was really frustrated with that because I felt like it's a true principle that marriage and sex is supposed to be for both people, but it still wasn't working for us and I could not see why. So I, someone had offered to be a sponsor on one of those um, sites and so I was talking to her a lot and she has a husband who's abusive and when I was telling her some things that were going on, she was like, that is abuse. (laughs) So, and I'm like, no, he's just following me around and unlocking doors. And did his sexual coercion involve using porn and giving you the impression that he was not, that he was faithful and that he was sort of a Christian man? So this is actually my main frustration with our church's addiction recovery program is that he did tell me about the porn use one year into marriage. And so he was, 
sincere about trying to work on it. Like he didn't act like he wanted to be doing that. And there were long periods of time he wouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, I think he also felt entitled to sex. And so if he wouldn't get it, I think that's when he would be indulging. And I'm not sure if it's possible he was using it as manipulation sometimes that like it was my fault and not. But he would never he never says anything. He never would say that. But maybe like he has those those like opinions. It's interesting because some some of them have these like this is their core belief right? That I'm entitled to this. I'm also entitled to my wife's physical labor, right? She should be doing all the housework. I'm entitled to her deferring to me on major, you know, things like that. But a lot of them know this is not okay. So they would never say it out loud. They just find a way to manipulate around it. And the words that come out of their mouth are, oh yeah, of course we're equal partners. Of course I care about you. But the actions and the way they operate in the relationship are not congruent with those words. Yeah. So I went into the marriage thinking it was going to be equal with the kids and everything like that and not knowing anything about sex and what's normal and kind of blindsided. So this person said, this is abuse to me. And I was like, no, and totally didn't believe her. And I was like, he's just kind of like needy. And then I listened to one of the podcasts she told me about, and that was Chris Moles on emotional abuse. And I was just completely blown away. This is the part that I feel is super important because it just took a little bit of information for me to see the pattern. Like all I needed to know was that abuse is a pattern of control based on entitlement. And he's a very like fierce guy like considerate and fierce guy. He was like, emotional abuse isn't this like whole separate category. It's just a tool that belongs with everything else. It's part of, of domestic abuse. And the whole thing with like abusers typically looking like they're charming and they're the ones that look good and they're the ones that show up for service projects and they deserve preferential treatment and all that. And that the one that's being abused is more likely to look crazy. And I'm like, hey, that's me. <laughs> and yeah, so that kind of blew me out of the water. But it still was like, Anyone seeing my husband, he's like very good natured and jolly. He did not want to be anything like his dad. So he's like, if you're angry, you're a bad person. And but it's like, if you pick up the entitlement stick, if you decide that you're entitled to things, then you end up picking up the abuse stick is what it feels like. And so he feels like, yeah, he's entitled to sex pretty much as much as he wants. And he's also entitled to my presence. So that's the part that's probably a little bit different than most people. Like, it's kind of like I'm this sex toy on a shelf kind of thing. Like, he idolizes me, but I'm not a person. So I can't have bad feelings against him. I can't put space between us if I want to go to activities when he's not working. He'll pout and stuff like that. But he would never say, you shouldn't go to activities. You should hang out with me. It was rare for him to say things that would look abusive or where you could figure it out but like if I'm reading a book around him he's not okay with that but instead of saying you shouldn't read books around me you're making me feel lonely or things that would be more easily recognizable he just would interrupt me <laughs> to start talking to me yeah well or even just be being honest about it I mean there's abuse right there's emotional abuse which is like not letting you have any other interests making you focus all of your time on him you know coercive control yeah. and then there's also like hey you're reading a lot and that's fine 
it's just that I really like spending time with you and I want to talk to you. Yeah, but that would be like owning responsibility, right? And that would be yeah. acting like I have a choice, like I have the ability to choose. Exactly. Interrupting someone when they're reading a book, that's not a big deal. But the, the big deal is the you shouldn't be doing that, the con- trying to control. I'm entitled to your attention rather than I know you're reading this book, but I would really like your attention. Yeah. 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 But that's that's being equals. Right. So <laughs> mm-hmm. but and the sexual coercion looked like if we hadn't had sex for 48 hours, then he would um, start criticizing me and just like pouting and frowning and just being kind of toxic until we would have sex. So and I had read the LaHaye book and the act of marriage and also, like, all the church stuff that was, like, focus mm-hmm. on yourself, you know. When when you say all the church stuff, what she's referring to on, as focus on yourself is their program for wives of porn addicts. So, basically, don't confront him per se about what he's doing. Just focus on being the best person that you can be kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the first year, I didn't know that he was addicted to porn but I mean like anything in any of the church materials any marriage books like I was reading all this different stuff because we were fighting initially and then and you know the whole love sir forgive like focus on it's always focus on yourself you know don't be critical and and I don't think that's just our church and I just that's something I'm really angry about (laughs) too because I was so sincere and this 19 year old trying really hard to have a good marriage and I couldn't see or understand what was going on and nowhere in all the things that I read, there was nothing about like, hey, love, serve and forgive. But if you see these red flags, like if you're bringing up concerns and the person doesn't listen or, you know, sincerely take it seriously or try to make changes or if you have someone who's lying to you or there was nothing in the materials that said anything like that. And I think that's a huge deal, like especially if you're saying that you care about celestial marriage or heavenly, you know, marriage is supposed to last forever then why wouldn't you focus on like, what would that look like? Like, let's just hold on to it with like, you know, the white knuckling it versus like, Mm -hmm. let's actually try to have a relationship that's heavenly. (laughs) So that seems insincere to me. They talk a lot about what would a heavenly marriage or an eternal marriage or in our faith, a celestial marriage look like. But guess what they never talk about? I don't think any religion does. I've just thought of this. So this is like an epiphany for me. Are you guys ready for this? Here we go. That no one ever talks about what would a hell marriage look like, (laughs) right? No one's like, this type of marriage is a marriage made in hell and you would be in hell if you lived in it and you do not want this type of marriage. They never talk about that, which is interesting. And that is abuse, yeah, essentially. But what they do say is abuse is bad. We don't tolerate abuse. But they never say. And I went and read the most recent handbooks and stuff. They don't even mention, they'll say... um, Abusers tend to be people that you know, and they list all, you know, they list parents, mm-hmm. sibling, uncle. They don't list spouse. Even the patterns of abuse, it's more like um child molester, predator grooming. It doesn't, it's not the same pattern as domestic abuse. And I'm like, if you're really against abuse, then you should be educating what the patterns look like. Because I just needed a little bit of information. Yeah. The other is we don't tolerate abuse. I believe that that they believe it. Right. Like, I I don't think they want people to be abused is what I'm trying to say. Like, I I genuinely think they're like, we know abuse exists. We want it to stop. We don't want people to be abused. The question is, how do you not tolerate it? So that's what I've started asking. Like, report the abuse. Say, hey, this is the abuse to your pastor, your bishop or whoever. And then say, this is abuse. How are you going to not tolerate this? 
Just follow it up with that question. How are you going to not tolerate it? And I did that with my own super well-meaning leadership. And I, they believe me and they are like on my side. And the problem is they don't know what to do. And it's like, what do they do? Right? Like they don't have the legal ability to be like, oh, okay, well, the kids should stop seeing him or something, you know, like that has to go through the courts and the courts aren't recognizing it either. And so although they might release them from their calling or something of that nature, they also cannot stop someone from being abusive. So the thing, the only thing they could do is help a victim get to safety. Like if she has boundaries that somehow they could help enforce, maybe help with house payment or with groceries or something. Right. But like in terms of how they're not going to tolerate abuse, that's the question. And I, I don't know the answer either. If someone came to me today and said, how would you do it? I would be like, well, maybe just release them from their callings. You know, I don't know. It's hard. But I feel like knowledge is power. And so why don't you empower women to get out of it themselves by actually teaching them what it would look like? And it doesn't have to be on you. Like, I mean, help them when they ask you. But why don't you at least say this is what it looks like? This is what abuse looks like. And and I'm sure they've seen like the worst of the predators. Um, Right. And so they know, they know how horrible it can be. And so why wouldn't you put that? Like, you know, here's, here's love, sir, forgive. But, you know, if you're seeing these type of patterns, that's a huge problem. Right. Just read. Why does he do that? <laughs> how is that hard? You know, you just came up with yeah. it. I'm like, I don't know what they would do. And you just came up with it. They would tell women, I'm not sh- I don't know if you're being abused, but here's why does he do that? Why don't you read it? And you tell me. Yeah, that would be a great thing. or anything, anything. It's a pattern of control coming out of entitlement or, you know, any pattern of dehumanizing or not listening to you or even there's the boundaries in dating book and they have um, lists of red flags and yellow flags that you look for when you're dating. But I'm like, why do you stop looking for that when you're dating? Like, why wouldn't you say, hey, if you have someone who's consistently lying or dehumanizing you or one of the things was apologizes without changing. Like if you're seeing that, then that's a red that's a red flag. Like just some basic. Mm-hmm. Including in marriage. Yes. That's the really interesting thing. The the dating principles, they're like, hey, look for this stuff in dating. And then it's like, oh, but once you're married, like just forgive and serve and be understanding. What? No, no, no. The same principles that you use for dating should also apply when you're married. How hard is this? Real quick before a response. There are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. So I feel like the fixation, um, Chris Mull says it's we've made marriage an idol and And Leslie Vernick says God doesn't value the sanctity of marriage more than the women or the people who are in it. I think the focus on we're just going to preserve the marriage as an institution instead of focus on helping people have marriages that are healthy. And if that was really your focus, then wouldn't you teach about red flags and abuse patterns more specifically? This is James 127. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
that's interesting the polluted by the world part because that's also um believing and being manipulated by abusers here's the new living translation pure and genuine religion in the sight of god the father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you so meaning like actually saying the truth the truth yeah. is this man is abusive and these the, this woman needs help and she's going to need help in the form of physical maybe food or housing we talk about helping the defenseless and if you're in an abusive marriage and you can't see it, I mean, that's where I was at for more than two decades. And that's a very vulnerable place to be in. Yeah, being abused and not knowing you're being abused. Yeah, let's educate about that. And I was sincerely, you know, reading all these communication things and marriage books. and. Yeah, I did the same thing. For seven years, I did pornography addiction recovery, where I like screaming and yelling, metaphorically, and... <laughs> Raising my hands and being like, help, help, I need help. And going to all these therapists and all these clergy people. And, and no one tells me until the very end when he's like, this is abuse. The one guy seven mm. years later who then um, wouldn't see me after that. Um, he wouldn't be my therapist after that. But, but like that one time, like nobody else for that seven years says abuse. Yeah. They don't talk about emotional abuse. They don't, you know, nothing. It's pretty crazy. That's why I feel so frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Especially when we knew like that he had a pornography problem from after the first year. And so and that's what I love that um, the Omar Manwala model that that I found from you guys was the whole compulsive entitled sexuality and the lying. And that's one of the huge things where you guys have rocked my world was the whole if you are lying, <laughs> if you're lying about porn, besides that, just if you're lying in general, you're not safe. But if you're lying about right. porn, then it's abuse because you're not allowing her consent. And I read this quote yesterday, lying is about controlling someone else's reality, hoping that what they don't know won't hurt you. And um, what it means to tell the truth is it's to give someone else her freedom to allow her to have a reaction, even if it leads to negative consequences for you, to give her the voice that lying takes away. There's a church talk. It's one of my favorites by one of our apostles who is now passed away. But he tells this story about how he loved football. And he had the football and he was just like two inches away from the end zone and the whole pile was on top of him and he could push the football a little bit more and no one would ever know. And I don't know what happened in that game if they won or not, but one of the things he said was do the right thing and tell the truth and let the consequences happen. If you tell the truth and just accept the consequences of that, like you will be more blessed than if you try to control the narrative or control the situation. You'll also continue to have the opportunity to repent and change if you live in reality. Because you can't alter God's reality. He knows what it is. Essentially, lying is also trying to, what, alter it for God? Like, that's not going to work. So anyway, I've always thought that, like, tell the truth and let the consequence and just accept what the consequence of the truth is even if it's not good for you. Yeah, but I think that's with the emotional immaturity going along with abuse, that you can't handle someone else thinking that you're bad or seeing something bad that you've done. So then you lie to yourself and lie to other people about your intentions or what you've done. And so you can kind of keep hiding, hiding from yourself because you can't handle the not being validated, I guess. So while you're reading these communication books and while you're, you know, doing like whatever else, what reasons did you give for his behavior? Just that he needed sex, like stuff like that? Or what did you think at the time? Yeah. So I thought that he was just like hangry, like when you're fasting. 
okay. I thought he was just like hangry. And I thought, I mean, I thought he was being a little bit bratty, but I didn't, I didn't think it was control coming out of entitlement. I just thought it was like him being hangry. And I also thought that it was my job to not have sex with him when he's being a jerk, but it was my job just to kind of like manage him sexually, even though I wouldn't have said that. I mean, it's both of our jobs to be kind to each other, but then I need to be available as long as he's not being a jerk is kind of what I thought. And so I would try to have sex with him before he would be a jerk. <laughs> so like if I have sex with him at this, like right now, yeah, then 48 to 72 hours, not kidding. <laughs> then things will be better for me. Yep. Yes. Wow. Or at least we won't fight and I can avoid the drama and all that because he's going to get hangry and then he's going to get grouchy. And I just didn't see until August, actually, that it was a choice because um, his therapist, we had him do a sex fast and he was still being manipulative and pushing me to do things even when he was doing a sex fast and he wasn't hangry and all that. And at the same time, I was reading the Lundy Bancroft book and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> Yeah. And he and he also owned to I can see that I'm manipulating you because I'm I say because he was trying to get me to do like heavy making out and stuff. And he said, I say that I'm doing this because I want to make you happy. But when you're saying that you don't want to do it, then I'm still pushing you to do it. So obviously I'm so he actually owned it. But then I was like, I, I think we're done. <laughs> we're actually in in-house separation and he's in classes. We're in separate therapy. So he's working on being honest and he's being really humble and handling a lot of criticism. But I think the honesty part is really, really difficult. Honesty is a skill that they haven't really learned how to do. And that's one of the things I find fascinating about that Omar Manwala model, because it's the whole secret. Was it called secret sexual basement? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where since you're kind of living over this, you feel like things aren't safe. So you kind of turn off. You're like, well, but I must be illogical or something there. Or it's just the decades of emotional abuse. Like I've kind of operated kind of like a robot. Like instead of how do I feel about things? I'm like, right. what's the right thing? What's the wrong thing? Oh, I'm not too busy. And I like sex actually. So, but it, it's in a, out of a caretaking mode instead of like, is this what I really choose? I wasn't treating myself like a person either. <laughs> exactly. Even if you really feel like you're choosing it. Would you choose that if you knew the truth, for yeah. example, right? So there are moments where I felt like I was really choosing that thing. I really wanted yeah. to have sex. And then later I find out, wait, had I known he had used porn the day before and lied to my face, even though he was yeah. grooming me and so I thought he was very loving, I would not have wanted to have sex if I would have had all the information that I needed to give consent. Yeah. Claire and I are going to pause the conversation here Join us next week to continue our conversation. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 